for, for many, it is a journey and I respect it and honor it. But some of them seem to want to come out of it, but they come out of it kicking and screaming. They want to have as little liberationism as possible in their post-evangelical existence, right? And, and at some point, somebody needs to be saying, no, that's not enough and I'm not gonna let you be comfortable with that. Welcome to The Models We Live By, the podcast that explores how overcoming the mental models we all hold on to can help us grow to become better humans. Hey, Eden and Billy, how are all y'all doing? Oh, we're good. Well, I'm good. Eden, how you doing, man? Um, I'm doing terrible. No, I'm... Uh, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty good. It is raining pretty hard outside, which... I love being inside when it's raining hard and it's unusual for it to rain hard, but it's doing that all this week here in Seattle or here in the Pacific Northwest. All week? You mean every day, right? Every day. Yeah, they have that weird weather out there. How about I you, know, Billy? I mean, the weather's good. No, um, I'm pretty well. <laughs> work is, you know, we're right at that stage, you know, teach school. So it's work is a lot right now because we're really into that first semester. How how do we know each other? Let, let's start with Eden. How about you? Uh, yeah, I am Eden. Um, I am a uh, I am a creator. I have a podcast. I love writing, um, and I I love stories. Uh, I'm also a queer trans man and a Christian. That is part of how we met in the first place was that I, we were all at the queer Christian conference this last January. And we met, actually, I don't know, Billy, if you were in that room or not, but we were all in the affinity trans space, which was like the first night, I think. Uh, and then the next morning I came down for breakfast and Mish was, was sitting there uh, by herself drinking coffee and all alone, um, and was gonna, I think, leave pretty soon. And I, I decided to take the leap and ask if I could join her. And we had some scintillating conversation. Um, and then I remember we, we went to some, one of the groups together and I thought that you and Billy already knew each other. But that was inaccurate. Yeah. That's um, right. That's right. So who are you, Billy? I, uh, who am I? I am a teacher. I am a trans woman. I am a father. I am a Christian. Uh, I'm a lesbian. I am a nerd. I don't know. There's like lots of adjectives I could put in front of me. Sorry yes. to interrupt, but we are both missionary kids also. We are. We are both missionary kids. Oh, we have that awkward. I know, right? There's some stuff That's there. Uh, we met, I'm just going to do that, right? No, we met, uh, we also met at the QCF. Um, we met there, uh, same time, uh, in January. I was in, I was in that session. Um, and, um, I liked Misha's fire. Misha, Misha said some stuff <laughs> in the session. <laughs> I was like, I like that fire. I like that. Um, <clears throat> it was good. And, uh, I was there with a friend of mine. And, um, after the session, my wife and I went out to dinner. We came back to like the main big session of the night and Misha was sitting with my friend. And so we sat at the same table, and then in the morning we did it again, I think. I think that's how it went. And that time Eden was there, so I made the same assumption Eden made, but in reverse. I was like, oh, Misha's friend is here. Cool. And then we got to know each other. Yeah, but that. what are the odds if I had not sat there because I was cranky? I was ready to go. I was ready to go. <laughs> I, I think I actually appreciated... The fact that you were cranky because I, I tend to be a pretty critical person. I was very much raised to be critical. Um, it, it harms the fact that I, I have difficulty having fun sometimes, but um, it was helpful because I was noticing the things that I, I loved about the conference and things that I did have criticisms about the conference. And you were able to sort of recognize some of those stuff too. So it was just uh, a kindred spirit, I guess. Yeah, like criticism feeds the ability to do more of it. And that can, I guess that can be a problem, but it can also be like an invitation to people who don't feel ready to say it to be like, hey, no, this is, you can, we, there's stuff wrong. It's okay to say that. Because in that first session, I think it was 
great that there were so many trans people in one room. Trans Christian people, I guess, or trans people of faith in the same room. But um, I was really surprised to see that um, so many people were in exclusatory churches and they were like, no, no, I'm going to do the work. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, no, no scraps. (laughs) No scraps. (laughs) We don't do scraps. (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think that conference is very much a thing that still among like one of its major roles is to provide a place of connection for people who don't get a lot of connection to other queer Christians, um, and need to find that, uh, find that space. So I think, it makes sense to me, like in retrospect, that that was that a lot of people were in that situation that were in that room. Um, For me, it was actually helpful to have so many people who were in exclusionary churches because I was afraid. I don't really like the way I sound when I say this, but I was afraid that I was going to be around a lot of queer people, a lot of trans people who would not have space for people who are conservative and for people who maybe don't understand or also who don't want to understand necessarily, but I think of the three of us, I'm definitely more of the, I'm, I want to try to make things work out with people who don't agree with me. Um, I have left conservative Christian spaces as my own church. I still visit places. Um, and that, that has been incredibly helpful to me. Um, but I still have a lot of care and a lot of love for friends of mine who are conservative. Um, and yeah, for people who do view the world differently than I do. I'm still a bridge builder. I definitely am still a bridge builder. Um, so yeah, we talked about this ad nauseum, obviously, that I have my private sphere and my public sphere. I just have zero tolerance in my private sphere. I would not, I would not like to come home and then my wife say, I, I don't accept you. I don't accept your body. I don't accept you as a woman. Yeah. So I kind of take that uh, and extend that to other private spheres. So my friend group has to be affirming. And then my church has to be affirming. My synagogue has to be affirming, you know, all those things. The rest, professionally, I have way thicker skin and way more patience than many of my trans skin. So that's kind of like the balance. This makes me think of a poem that I wrote. Um, It's something like, do not fuck with fairies. We are familiar with poison. We will always clap back. Some some parts of our lives we don't have a lot of control over, right? Like, you have to make a decision. This person is very close to me and they're not affirming. And I need to decide how much I want that to be in my life. um, And how much pain is worth, you know, you're just balancing pains. Um, I have a couple of friends that I maintain that are, like, they're not hostile but they're maybe on the edge um, in terms of trying to understand you know, that kind of space. Most of my friends, my, my immediate family are affirming and it's great. Um, so you walk, you, you walk that line and then, yeah. And, and I can definitely see why like your church is something you get to choose to a greater extent. I'm not going <laughs> to want to honor, honor that some people don't feel like they have a lot of choice in the church that they go to, but, but largely you get more choice in it. And um, I think there can be a lot of wisdom in saying, Hey, I don't need to make this another space in my life where I'm going to be challenged in who I am because I have other places that I'm already invested in dealing with that challenge. I do have one more question before we actually go to the main topics of this podcast is what is your purpose in life? I I ask this to all my guests. I hope you're prepared for this. What is the purpose of your life? Yeah, this one I, I found interesting because I was realizing that the initial things I was thinking of uh, are about how I interact with other people, um, which I, I'm, I'm going to include those because those are important. But I was recognizing, well, what about, you know, ju- just me or just me and God? Um, and I think that was really interesting because so much of my life has been spent spending time on other people or taking care of other people. Um, and that I, I need to think about myself as what is it called? Like differentiation and, you know, my own person, but I'll, I'll say both. Um, and one is that, uh, you were saying it earlier, Mish, and I know Micah Melody said this in her episode about bridge building and that I, it's one of the ways that I recognize that being trans 
wasn't a mistake <laughs> that that I'm not uh, I don't have a problem. Well, sometimes I have a problem with being trans, but overall I am glad that I am and I believe that God did create me this way because I do have the ability to be able to speak uh, between men and women things that they don't understand about each other. Um, and and not just that, you know, that's I think a pretty obvious one, but you know, between conservatives and more liberal people, between Christians and atheists or other religions, um, between missionary kids and people who are not missionary kids. Um, and, you know, I, I think the list could go on. Uh, yeah, queer and, and straight people. And I'm, I think that is a big part of who I am. Um, and, and sort of with that, that I, I love to engage with people's stories, my own story and with, with other people, um, which is why I, you know, I do the podcast that I do where we, we talk about each other's stories. And then the, the last thing I will say is that when it comes down to, to me and who I am and how I relate to God, it, it's connected to that in that it's creativity. Um, I, I am a, a creator. That's what I actually said in like who, who I am. And I believe that that is an inherently spiritual thing, um, that that is the way that I interact with God and God created me and many people like, you know, in their own image. And that is as also being a creative being. Um, and I don't necessarily need anybody else around to do that. Um, I do that to connect with myself and I do that to connect with God. And I can do that to connect with other people. The word I came up with was flourishing. Um, which sounds something like, sounds like what somebody would say in a TED talk. Um, but what I mean is that, um, uh, so my own flourishing is why I'm here, but also the rest of the, of existence is flourishing. I am, I get to flourish as part of the created order. And part of that means helping the rest of the created order to flourish. Um, and that can be hard. And I differentiate it from just happiness and even somewhat from like what we might use the term joy. Um, because it can be complex and it can be painful and it can involve suffering sometimes, but I get to, I am here to be, you know, my purpose is to be as thoroughly myself in a universe that is as thoroughly itself as possible. And I think that that's why I'm a teacher um, because my passion is to help students to flourish. Um, I think it's why I make a habit of, and I've made it a discipline to try to talk about the incredible awesomeness of being a queer person in the world, because we should be about flourishing. We don't need to be about defending ourselves or justifying who we are. We are here to glory in who we are. So I think I'm here for flourishing. Bridge building and flourishing. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is beautiful. So for those who are tuning in and uh, have been suggested by Spotify or Apple, this is the podcast that you should listen to. Welcome to the Models We Live By podcasts. We talk about mental models. And mental models are essentially a word that we use to, to explain how we view the world, what has been culturally taught to us, and the way we respond to happenings and events and that those are mental models. And specifically season four, we're talking about intersectionality, which is such an overused term. It makes me angry, but I'm talking about Kimberly Crenshaw. <laughs> All hail to Kimberly Crenshaw here. None of intersectionality is my own invention. She coined the term. And when she says intersectionality, we're talking about marginalized identities. So for example, I am a trans woman. That's my identity. <laughs> and I've been in the war in Israel. That's an experience. So that's not an intersection. However, intersections make shared experiences a little bit different. It gives them a little bit more complexity. So I'm a woman. That's an intersection. I'm Asian. That's an intersection. And I'm Jewish. So boom, four intersections right there. Um, and just like that, it doesn't mean that we're in an arms race in who has it worst or who has it best. It just means it gets a little bit more complex if you're living at different intersections. And I thought it was interesting to 
have some guests over who live at multiple intersections. So we have a very diverse uh, lineup this season. And um, today's your turn, Eden and Billy. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it took a lot of time yeah, to think about this, as Mish knows well, because I've written multiple messages to Mish about this. Yeah, at one point, I hoped being a man would save me. I now have to reckon with the complexity of manhood, as well as the vulnerability of being both trans and female-bodied. Um, and I'll add into there that I'm also queer, which I had completely forgotten about uh, <laughs> somehow. Um the, the complexity of that. Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about, well, probably ever since I, I you know, recognized that I was a trans man, um, but especially the last couple of months about, about the complexity of identifying as a man and what does manhood mean and recognizing, you know, I will likely never pass as a man. Billy and I are looking at you with very judgmental eyes right now. But continue, but continue. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, actually, I think I'd like to, to comment on that because um, there is some discomfort in trans circles in being a trans man. Um, and of like, wait, you know, now you're just going to go for like the privilege of that. And especially like I, I'm white also. Um, and especially with those that can pass, I, I know that sometimes there's difficulty in being recognized as, as trans at all. So I, I don't have that problem, but um, that's its own complex issue that I, I won't get into. But I remember Mish, you were asking me, do I want to pass? And the answer is yes, I would. I would like to be able to pass for safety reasons, um, but I then wouldn't pass all the time. I would choose not to uh, in certain circumstances. So I'd like to have the option. Um, I am a pretty feminine, queer-like trans man, and so I, I wouldn't conform to certain stereotypes, but I'd like to be able to if I were visiting a place where it wasn't safe. Would be nice. Would be nice. No, but I totally hear you. I have a friend who is gender fluid and lesbian, and she's mm -hmm. like, nobody knows I'm queer, and it frustrates me. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I hear you. One of the things, yeah, that I was thinking about was that, so I'm, I am, you know, I'm, I'm queer, and before I recognized that I was trans, I, I just identified as yeah, someone who was attracted to women and sometimes men. Um, but I was, I'm in a relationship with a man. And so I sort of passed as being straight. And that's nice for safety reasons, but it's annoying for invisibility, like just being invisible. And I have a similar thing with being a trans man where um, it's not as hated for female-bodied people to look more masculine and so I don't have the danger of that experience specifically, but I'm also invisible because of that. The thing of being both trans and being female-bodied and, um, and wanting safety, I think that I hoped that at some point I would pass as a man and I would be safe from all of the problems of being female-bodied in this world. Um, and that, uh, you know, and I wouldn't be obviously trans either, right? So that, like, I wouldn't have to deal with that problem of, like, the in-between stages. Um, because that is certainly um, frustrating, you know. Um, and so I, I was raised to, you know, to be a girl, to be a woman. And that involved a lot of dangers, I think, especially in the evangelical world of, well, you are not as important as important as men. You shouldn't be in authority. Um, you should not be aggressive in any way. Um, and also you, you're always vulnerable sexually. Um, and I, you know, have that now, and I've often been pretty angry about 
the ways that I have experienced sexual trauma, um, specifically because I am uh, female-bodied, um, being groped very specifically in a way that involved my female body. Um, and also just, you know, walking down the street and being like, I have to wear one earbud in, one earbud out so that I can make sure that I hear everything and that I'm looking everywhere I'm going in case of attack. Um, and then also, you know, around a lot of people, I don't, my transness is not recognized. You know, in my family, my transness is certainly not recognized. And just in regular society, like that's not, um, people say she, people say ma'am. Um, there's not usually a question. If there ever is a question, they, they assume that I'm non-binary, you know, um, which I understand why. It, it makes sense to me why. Let me ask you this, because I push back if this is too deep of a conversation, but it sounds, first of all, so sorry about the trauma that's been caused to you. And on that note, I'm like, I'm hearing not even trauma is giving you the courtesy of gendering you correctly. That's the only thing. Like when you said that, I was like, oh my, everything, my heart broke because because that's double trauma. It's both traumatic in and of itself. It's enough trauma already, right? But now you have that extra layer of like, for fuck's sake, I'm a man and you grope me in a in a way as if I'm a woman. That sounds very rough. That, yes, that was really difficult. This was before I recognized that I was a man. But at the time I was very specifically going back and forth like every other day between dressing in a feminine fashion and dressing in a masculine fashion. I used he or she pronouns. Um, I was not out to everyone um, at the time or to most people at the time. Um, And I think it was really upsetting to me that I was wearing masculine clothing at the time I was sexually assaulted. It really upset me because I thought, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Which, you know, eventually did lead me down this spiral where, you know, I did go, I, I had issues with insomnia. I did go and get a real therapist and, you know, had a lot of very strong suicidality that ended me up in, in the hospital and, you know, that I did end up coming out as trans. So just a very messy story of both trouble and pain, but also I am so glad that like that I am out now. Um, and that was part of it. Uh, and I hesitate to even say that because there is a narrative out there of, well, women are just trying to run away from being women and the trauma of that. Um, and I try to try to own my own story um, and that I do sometimes, as I said before, like I, I, I hope being that being a man would, would save me like that part of that narrative fits. It's not accurate though. Like it's not, that's not why I'm a trans man, but it certainly plays its own part. No, that, I mean, if I may, that like resonates with me. I don't have that trauma and I don't have a similar trauma. Um, but we're, when we're talking about intersectionality and thinking about that experience of having when your own experience, you know it would fit to this antagonistic false narrative, right? It's really a heinous individualized experience. And again, that goes back, and I think a lot of ways too, like the particular ways that intersectionality is necessary to analyze and understand a particular form of oppression, right? So, um, right, so I'm a trans woman. I'm also a lesbian. Um, and if I were, and so as a result of that, right, being attracted to women and also wanting to be a woman are both experiences that I hold right? Because I was raised and told I was a man. And so part of that was this sort of looking at from the outside. But that means that I fit for a long time, a particular, um, really heinous anti-trans stereotype that was that is used to convince trans women that they are not who we in fact are. Um, and it wouldn't apply if I hadn't been a lesbian. They came up with different stereotypes for a straight trans woman. Um, and it wouldn't have applied if I were a cis lesbian. It doesn't enter in. It is a form of oppression. It's a form of denial of who I am that only can happen because I sit at the intersection of those two identities in, the, in, a, in a way that I, I, I want to use, I'll say maybe like parallels distantly. Cause again, I don't have a trauma and I wasn't assaulted. Um, and I don't want to make an equivalency, 
um, but I want to see an echo maybe of, of the fact that, um, right. Like the, the way that you were, you were harmed, the way that you were uh, assaulted isn't available to cis men and it isn't available to women, right? You had to sit at the intersection of who you are to be hurt in that particular way. Extra layer Uh, of complexity. Right. And, and that means that in order to provide healing to people who are like you, because none of us are alone, we need to understand that. And that you, (laughs) it seems like concluding that with like, and you have value is like incredibly banal and sad, but like, but this is why we have to do this kind of work. This is why intersectional uh, analysis matters so much because we have to be able to understand how these oppressions work in order to undo their harmful effects. They are by themselves enough already, but combined together brings it to a whole different echelon, complete together with all the microaggressions that you're going through that, that probably don't bother you one by one, but add them together. And all of a sudden you're like, wow. Oof, yeah, no, I, I resonate as well with what, what Billy says. And and I push back so hard against that narrative of like, hey, you are trans because you're traumatized. I don't, people fucking understand that it's the other way around. <laughs> Listen, the amount of times that I had to go through time white knuckling and denying my body and denying my existence that gotten me into spaces that were therefore traumatizing it is the complete opposite and it is disgusting that people would come up to any of us and say hey uh, you're just traumatized and that's why you're trans no yeah and i think something else i want to add and i I was saying this to mish before the interview was that Something that I've recognized, you know, one, I, I, I'm likely not not going to pass, and so like I have to accept like these certain um, risks that I have. But also, even if I were to pass as a man, and maybe even if I always had, men also experience trauma. Uh, men also experience sexual trauma, um, and that I was talking to a couple of men this week. And learned that both of them had been in abusive relationships, one uh, like emotionally and verbally, and the other one, probably both of those things, but also physically. And I think it was eye-opening to me to recognize none of us are actually safe. <laughs> um, and and I have to reckon with that. Um, but also that actually, because I was raised female you know, to be a woman, to be a girl, I was given some skills at how to deal with this. And that the, you know, what these men did not have was a narrative of how to talk about their trauma. Um, In fact, because they are men, there wasn't really a place. Um, It's a little frightening to talk about. Um, And that, you know, as uncomfortable and painful as it was at the time when I experienced that sexual assault, I did have a place to talk about my trauma. Now, people didn't understand the full extent of why it was so stressful to me. I tried to say it, but it didn't make sense. I at least had something. Um, So yeah, like just another layer of complexity. And also that like, you know, I enter this world of manhood and masculinity and recognizing, oh, men are having like an identity crisis (laughs) and really have struggling with what it means to be a man. Um, and is it good to be a man? Is it okay to be a man? Should I just be more like a woman or, or should I lash back and, you know, you know, have a backlash and be like more like aggressive and anyway, that that's its own thing, but it's, it's just more complex than I originally thought it would be. But like, that's the thing you, sorry, but like queer people are freaking awesome and the world <laughs> is broken and we bring a form of healing to it. We bring a perspective. We bring an understanding of healing to it. That if the world yes. will receive it, when the world will receive it, the world gets better. Oh, I'm saying. And that entire spectrum that we understand that non-queer people don't seem to understand is like, listen, Mish is very feminine. Who the fuck cares? That's not transgender women. That's just Mish. <laughs> You know, uh, have you seen the real life action, uh, the real life version of One Piece? I haven't yet. I've been told I have to by my kids. People keep recommending it to me. Yeah, one of the main characters is a trans man. I'm like, what the fuck? This is awesome. 
you know, um, that's one expression. The wheel of uh, time, the eye of the world. No, that's book one. The wheel of time. Let's go. <laughs> the Robert Jordan uh, Amazon refilming of the wheel of time. Boom! In season two, the same. Like it's it's a, a gender fluid person that falls on the masculine spectrum. We keep on going. I watched Barbie and I saw Harry Neff. I'm like, ah, this. You know how inspiring how inspiring it is to see Harry Neff because Harry Neff doesn't give a fuck. She's a supermodel already, but she embraces a lot of masculine attributes. So, so on that entire spectrum, she may even be considered more masculine than me. That's the whole spectrum thing, right? Saying, saying that you won't pass the, the reason why Billy and I have judgmental eyes <laughs> when you say that is because one day the world will be redeemed and we don't we don't need this anymore it is important now but one day the world will be redeemed and then the stereotype of what people have of what is masculine will be gone like jeremy if you're listening right now i'm talking about you i love what he says jeremy's a friend and he's like i don't like the roles that are placed on me as a man but he's a he's a white dude with a mustache. He looks like a man, but he's like, no, I I I like empathy. I like listening to people. I like to shut the fuck up, you know? And like these are all roles that people are finding weird that I'm not embracing them. But even if you're just cis cis hats white men, the 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 people of now are are starting to reject the idea of how that looks like. And I am very excited about how the next 20 to 50 years is going to look like because of that. No, like it's a hundred percent like the, yeah. Yeah. When you talk about not passing and I talk about, like I use that language too sometimes, right? Um, I was, I was laughing with somebody the other day, the podcast people can't see me, but I have a presentation. I love the way I look. Honestly, I love the way I edit it out transitioning has been so good for letting me like look how I actually want to look. And, uh, but I was thinking about that John Mulaney sketch where he talks about like, he should have been a gay man. Right? And, <laughs> and uh, you know, and he says like, you know, and sort of that, like they did all the steps except they didn't flip the final switch. And it was yes. like, Oh, you made that one gay, right? No, was I supposed to, Oh, this is going to be a very interesting person. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, I was supposed to be androgynous or non-binary, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm a trans woman. I'm just a pretty tomboyish trans woman. Right, so like some days I think I, I, they were supposed to make me a non-binary person, but they didn't, and that's great. I I get to be me, um, right? And that's the thing is that in a world that was that is redeemed, when you look the way that most reflects who you are, that will be recognized as a man. So you would be there's no passing. You'll just it will be recognized. And right now, some people can see it. I think that's the other reason that we wince, right? Like because I know that if I'm like, oh. I see a man when I see you. It'll be like, it'll sound like that pity thing or that sympathy thing, but that's not it. It's just that I've unfucked my head enough that that's literally <laughs> what I see, right? Like, it's not a, it's not a like, oh, it's not like when you tell somebody like, oh, I see a very pretty girl when it's like, mm, nobody else does, right? Like, it's not that part. It's not that kind of sympathy thing. It's 100%. Like, like that's just, you fit within the space in my head of things men can look like. And media slowly but surely is embracing that too. That's why, and that's why I'm excited because we're winning. There's no turning back. I mean, trans hate has been highest ever because we're fucking winning. Because we're winning. Because <laughs> we're awesome. Because we're awesome. That that's true. I mean, this ties in very, very neatly, but with what you were going to bring to the table, right, Billy? So the quote I wanted to bring, or the, the statement I wanted to bring, was when I put on online a couple days ago, um, earlier the week, I think. Um, and it's, if your feminist theology isn't inclusive of trans people, then it isn't feminist theology, just patriarchy with concessions. It's a loaded statement. Before you dig in, though, I know not everybody who is listening knows what feminism is, doesn't even know that there's four waves of feminism, nor understand that there's feminist theology. Can you just give a quick, I'm, you are Billy GPT, Give me a quick one paragraph. Explain it to me like I'm 12. Oh my gosh. So I'm, I'm not, 
oh, no, I'm a teacher and I'm a professor and I don't know that I can do that in a single paragraph. Um, and also I'm feeling a little bit intimidated because you're the seminarian. I'm the, uh, I, I, flit from, I flit from academic subject to academic subject. My master's is in the liberal arts. I can't focus enough to do that. Um, <laughs> um, so feminist theology um, uh, is, I actually have some issues with feminist theology. Like I'm going to prefer womanist theology and queer theology over feminist theology most of the time. Um, um, I think a lot of ways feminist theology was shaped by especially that second wave of feminism um, that wanted to deny certain things that I, uh, especially differences um, and uniquenesses about women and had a bit of a problem sometimes with femininity. And like, you're going to get a hundred emails telling, telling you that I'm wrong about feminism. And that's fine. <laughs> Again, I cannot, like this can't be simplified and not be wrong. Right. There are a whole bunch of really cool second wave feminist theo theologians and theorists, and they're great. I'm sure they're wonderful unless they're anti-trans, in which case they're terrible and they're not feminists. Um, because, and honestly, this is the point of what I was trying to say. It gets back to the basic statement that trans women are women. If your theology and a feminist theology is, if, if it's anything else, it is a theology that situates women as valuable as no less valuable before God or in, or in relation to the rest of our gendered siblings, um, as men are, as non-binary people are, right? Um, it's, it holds that at its core. If, if feminist theology is anything, it is the insistence that women matter before God. And if your feminist theology doesn't include trans women, then you are not insisting that women matter before God. You're insisting that some women matter before God. And if you are insisting that some women only matter before God, you are in fact just doing patriarchy because where you are all at the same time saying that some women don't matter before God. Some women don't count in your theology. That's what patriarchy says. It's just patriarchy with concessions because you're saying, I want to be on the side of the oppressive patriarch. I will carry water for the patriarchs. I have a real problem with that. So hence the tweet, hence the quote. I mean, I have a lot of problems with that and I can see the problems with that and I hope that a lot of listeners see it too. But what are the problems with that, Billy? Theologically, um, the problems with that are that it denies the, um, it actually denies the fundamental power uh, and meaning of being humans in the image of God because it says that the image of God can be attenuated in some people or even non-present in some people while it is present in others. And yes, that is dehumanizing and sort of ethically, morally evil. It is also a theological evil because it decreases the power and potency of God's own image, right? So it's a, it's a violation of God as well as being a violation of humanity. Um, at a level of you know, theory and liberationism, which is really where my heart is, right? It's a problem because it is... So I have a real problem with people who claim to be liberationists but in fact turn out to only be interested in their own liberation. Because when you're only interested in your own liberation, what you're actually interested in is being on the side of the oppressor. You don't have a problem with the oppressive system. You have a problem with being on the wrong side of the oppressive system. And I have no patience for that. Um, I, I, have, I, just, I have no patience for that. Um, a, a mutual friend uh, at one point when I was complaining about this, because I do complain about it on the regular, honestly, um, but, uh, said, no, 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 no. It's ironically, was said, you know, said to me, no, 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 no. Uh, it's just that I happen to know exactly the right number of people that should be given full uh, dignity and citizenship. I just got lucky on that front. And it just happens to include me. I'm, I'm the only person on the right side of that line. Everybody who is a little bit more weird than me, a little bit more socially ostracized than me, they really should be socially ostracized. Like, it's ridiculous when you like spell out what the claim actually is. And yet people who want to grasp for their own liberation and will not stand for the liberation of everybody who is unlike them are not liberationists. They are oppressors who make concessions, who want concessions to be made on their behalf. So ethically, on the, on the level of theory, those are the problems with it. So they're theologically and ethically and, and in terms of theory. I love this topic, obviously, so much because um, it's important enough to uh, dedicate my whole life to it. <laughs> But you are so right, though, and and I think we're reaching we're reaching the edges of feminist theory and feminist theology, and yeah, exactly like you said, I'm gonna piss a lot of people by saying that. But hey, this is cranky mish right now. <laughs> Let's do it. But the whole point is here that feminist theology focuses on gender equality. That's not enough. 
it's not enough, you know? So going beyond the point even of thinking that within feminism, we wanted to focus on gender inequality. But the problems, the initial problems right away were, yes, but just for a small subset of women in the world, suffrage was not for black women. Let's let's let have that sink in. And I'm not going to give too much away because Kim's episode is uh, talks about suffrage a lot. But let's sink, let have that sink in. Suffrage is a beautiful, great moment, but it was not enough. And I know it's annoying to constantly hear when you're doing your best to hear you're not doing enough. But yes, I can foresee a fifth wave of feminism where it is enough that I'm corrected and I would love that. But you're right, it's not enough. And because of that, we get into those moments where there are still feminists out there that consider trans women not to be women, that consider trans women to be people that are stealing the spotlights from women, that they're just men in women's clothes that are trying to take away the spotlight for themselves again. Hugely misunderstanding. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I know some trans women who will try to argue that like TERF, right, trans exclusionary radical feminist is a misnomer because they say that they aren't really feminists. I actually do think that's a mistake. I think it's a well-intentioned mistake, but I think it's a mistake because I think they are feminists, I think feminism is broken, right? Feminism is fundamentally a white construct. And um, for all of those reasons you're talking, and it's growing and it's trying to get better. And so I want to see feminism become a thing where we, one could accurately say, you can't have a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. That is a contradiction in terms, I would love for feminism to get to that point. But I think if we're just descriptive at this point, I have to agree with you and say, no, it, it's not there. Um, the other thing I thought of while you're talking was the uh, we'll go back to the Bible. Um, I think actually we have a there's a whole lot of strength in that in the command to uh, weep with those who weep and to to celebrate with those who celebrate, right? Um, because I think we can't hold both at the same time, right? Like at a moment like suffrage, or I always think of when uh, Obergefell and when when gay marriage became legal, right? That's a complicated moment as a trans person because that happened. A lot of the effort for gay marriage, for the legalization of gay marriage, came at the expense of fighting for trans people. We were told to sit back for that fight. And a lot of us actually did, right? Like, I wasn't there yet, and so I don't want to claim. But, like, a lot of people actually did. So that was that was complicated. But I think we can actually hold, We and we need to be able to hold simultaneously saying, that is an improvement. Suffrage was good. It was a move in the right direction. And at the exact same moment we're celebrating, to mourn with those who mourn and say, and also... We can't let this be a thing where we would leave anybody behind. We haven't got there yet, and there is a lot of work that is left to be done. So we need to simultaneously weep with those who weep, but also to celebrate with those who celebrate. I think that I this might be a reason that I'm that I'm glad that I don't quote unquote pass. Something that can happen when you pass is that you can take on that same oppressive stance of like, well, now I'm in. Now I'm in, you know, this, this system protects me now. Um, and why don't I distance myself from all these weirdos? Um, and I, cause I don't want to be associated with that. And I, you know, maybe I, I just want people like me to be okay and not other people. And, um, I, I don't think that's necessary. And I, I think that there, there is a lot of, um, difficulty between those who pass and, and don't pass. Uh, I, I recognize that term is complicated, but I, I would worry because I, I know, I know of my own misogyny. Um, I know of my own sort of like, I don't like those trans people. Those are the bad trans people. These are the okay trans people. These are the good trans people, right? Like, I think we all do that to some extent. And I think I am glad that at least for now, I I don't even have, I don't have the opportunity to use my power in a, in a negative way. Can I do a Bible again? Can I do a Bible? Can you do okay. a Bible? <laughs> Can I do a Bible? I really want to do a Bible, right? No, it's Paul, right? Like, um, you know, that my strength is made, or your strength is made perfect in my weakness, right? Like that whole sense that like, you're talking and it has me wondering, like, cause I, I don't, I don't get read as a woman very often, <laughs> put it that way, right? And it, I wonder if I'm strong enough to be, like, I wonder if you might not be right that like, I know that I need the other freaks and weirdos. Like we need each other or we don't, we don't exist. We don't survive. Right. If I didn't need them, 
would I have the strength to continue to be on their side to see an us as an us? And that's the, like, again, I'm sorry, I'm not getting off the soapbox. The beautiful, amazing, one of the great parts of queerness, right, is that we find each other in Christian language in the wilderness and we build these little cities and we find out that we need each other and we recognize that we need each other. And then slowly we start to realize that everybody else needs us too. And we need everybody else. And in fact, that we have this vision for the world where everybody who's a freaking, everybody who's a freaking weirdo is actually just, everybody is different and they're amazing and cool. And we all need each other on that front. And, but that's not an insight you get when you're accepted, when you're on the inside, right? Like, and our history in this country, it knows this, right? I'm, I'm getting off this kick of writing queer history for a high school curriculum. And I can never get around. Like, I, I'm, I hope I never forget, like, but I'm really obsessed right now with the fact that queer liberation started in this country after, at the moment, when the good gays found out who had been doing all of this setting, like, they did work. Like, I'm not actually going to say they didn't. They did a lot of work setting foundations, but nothing fucking happened until a bunch of sex workers and outcast gays and the ones that embarrassed them started setting buildings on fire. And that's when queer liberation started happening. And it, it took both. Yes. Back to the feminist statement about that feminism is not enough. We are focusing on essentialism and we're focusing only on a universal uh, female experience within feminism. But the same goes for, for all the identities that we hold as marginalized. There is no essentialism. There is no universal experience for trans women. There's no experience for trans men. We are all individuals. We are queer. Oh. And we're so cool. We're so cool, exactly. <laughs> Stop me and cut this if it's too soapbox. But like, there's a problem right now of, and it's a good problem. I don't know. Of there are Christians who are realizing the toxic toxicity of certain hyper patriarchal um, and hyper uh, right wing politicized forms of evangelicalism, and they're coming out of that. But they're coming out of it, and they not all of them. For for many, it is a journey, and I respect it and honor it. But some of them seem to want to come out of it, but they come out of it kicking and screaming. They want to have as little liberationism as possible in their post-evangelical existence, right? And, and at some point, somebody needs to be saying, no, that's not enough, and I'm not going to let you be comfortable with that. I'm not going to call what you're doing liberationist if you are just trying... like. And it's also futile, right? It's completely futile to try to say, like, I am against abusive churches, but I am also going to affirm things like reparative therapy, or I am going to question the legitimacy of trans kids, right? Like, you, you can't. Like, that, it will not actually work because that's a contradiction, and it needs to be said. And so finding ways to say it, but like the two of you, I at least imagine, like, I both imagine myself to be a fairly combative person. <laughs> But also try to be a bridge builder. Like I, I experience myself to be as gracious as like, pretty gracious in interactions with actual people. Um, and so I tr think I try to find this balance between like just saying without a specific target, saying this is the truth that needs to be out there. And then to be gracious when people say, hey, I don't get that or I want to push back, but I'm like actually open to a good faith conversation about it. I'm just I'm just thinking about the, how difficult it is to grow. Um and how often it is a pretty slow process. You know, who I was in high school to who I am now, there's had to be several iterations. I, I, I really don't know, yeah, the, the quote unquote right move of, yes, you don't want to just sort of sit back and watch as this person says, you know, yay to these things, but nay to these other things. And it's really harmful. Like, and yet, you know, it took me a long time to get where I am. And what happens when you try to race through that? I don't know. I, it's such a messy evolution. And I also want to be careful of saying, like, there is sometimes this problem of people believing that um, you're sort of essentially like re reaching enlightenment, like you're, you're becoming more and more enlightened, and it can be very insulting. Um, so I'm just noticing that as I'm speaking, but 
it is tough. Like how, how do you give someone space to grow and get there in a way that actually, you know, makes sense while also not just saying, oh, it's okay that you think that thing that is really dehumanizing of me. But they want you to. Oh my gosh, they want you to. They're like, no, I don't think less of you. You don't see me. I'm not the one you're even thinking of. You're thinking of somebody that you want me to be. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, preach, exactly. Who are you talking about when you're talking about me? You have no clue who I am. Right. And at the same time, we do want to bring them along, right? Like, it's like, okay, but I get that you at least want a relationship with something that resembles me. And I'm the only thing around that resembles me. And I'm, I want that to happen. It, it is, it is difficult. And I mean, I've been through a lot of this, like I was, my gosh, <laughs> harken back to the beginning of our conversation or even before I was a horrible person um, at various times and I was brought along. And sometimes I was brought along kicking and screaming. And sometimes I was displaced from what I had thought I had known enough that I was really eager to take as many steps forward as I could figure out how to take because, you know, like, well, I lost all that and I need to figure out what, what to replace that with. Um, and sometimes that was people saying things that I thought were really difficult and harsh and disagreed with. And then I went around trying to find people who would have good faith conversations with me where I'd say like, I, this troubled me and I want to talk about it. Um, and for a while I did that in some bad ways, but then later I learned to do it in some better ways. Um, it's everybody has to stumble and everybody has to do like, we can't, can't make anybody's way perfectly clear and easy for them. Yeah. Well, I love that growth journey, but it's interesting because that, that kind of like glues everything together. What you said there, because that is the patriarchy that is colonialism dictating to us how we should grow. That's dictating what success looks like. I mean, in, in the same line, I have imposter syndrome for claiming women's rights. Like, what the fuck? I'm a woman. I know this. I know this 100%. But the moment that I start talking about, oh, I was harassed as a woman, I feel imposter syndrome. Well, who is speaking in my head? Is that me or is that patriarchy? Thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast. If you would be able to tell something to your younger self, what would you say to the millions of Billies and Edens out there? I think this is a really complicated question to ask a trans person. And I know you've had trans people on your show before, but 16 year old me would be horrified at who I am um, because she would be convinced that this meant that she was going to like abandon God. Um, and I think I would have to focus on that because I would care about who she is and how she can get to who she can become. And so I would say something like, sweetheart, it's okay. We still have God. We still love Jesus. And our life is so much better now because all of those things, and I know this is going to be scary to hear, but all of those things that are temptations, that is the Holy Spirit whispering freedom in your ear. That is real. That is possible. That's who you are. I was thinking about this and I was like, where was I when I was 16? Like what, what was going on? I think... I can't remember if I was in Ukraine or in America at that particular moment. Um, but it was it was in that year that I was recognizing, oh, I need to leave my home. Like I need to find some way of getting out from where I'm living, which which didn't happen. But I was starting to be in that space. I was starting to recognize attraction to women, um, but not naming it in any sort of way. And it was a year before I finally would admit that to myself, that I was attracted to women, and before I would look into like sexual reassignment surgery and any of that stuff and freaked myself out and became the most feminine version of myself ever. So that, that was like where I was. I was about a year away from that place. And so when I was thinking about it, there's, there's two things that I would like to say. Um, and they're both they're sort of quotes from, from other people. Um, I think the first thing would be that uh, you are not only loved by God, but you are liked by God. I just, I really love the idea of being liked. And I, I did not feel likable and liked by God. Um, and I think the second thing is um, when I came to my first therapy appointment with my current therapist, um, my first two questions were, so you're a Christian, right? which he said, yes, I already knew that, but I, I needed to sort of confirm it. And my second question was, 
how do you feel about working with queer people? And he was taken aback by this. And so he just said, uh, beautiful, lovely. And so I think I would say you are beautiful and you are lovely. Um, because I viewed myself as, um, as disgusting, as dangerous, as monstrous. Um, I still do. Like, I still struggle with that a lot. So, yeah, you, you are loved and you are liked by God and you are beautiful and lovely. Eden, you are loved and you're liked by God and by Billy and me. And you are beautiful and you are lovely. This is like exactly like you said, Billy. What a question to ask for trans people. <laughs> All these things I recognize. I have good days that I go outside. I'm like, look, everyone, I'm a woman. And then the other day, I'm like, I better not go outside because um, everybody will look at my shoulders or my feet or my nose or whatever. Uh, it is so cumbersome. It also made me laugh because what you said, Billy, if I ask my 16-year-old self, like the fantasies that I had, I, we, I may have talked about this in a podcast before, but it was like, hey, guys, you know, you're sitting with your guy friends and everybody's like, oh, what do you think of this chick and this chick? And I think that I'm going along and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And before you know it, yeah, what is your biggest fantasy? And I'm like, that I'm one of those chicks and then we have sex together and it's amazing. And they all look at me like, what are you talking about? It's like, guys, oh don't you fantasize so about that? Don't you all watch lesbian sex? No, watching lesbian sex is one thing. Pretending to be in a lesbian, that's weird, Mish. That's weird. Little did we know. Mm. Was that something you actually mentioned? No, this literally, literally, we had this talk. The, the earliest I can remember is that I was very young and I had two Indonesian girls in my class and they were so beautiful. And I was, one of them had similar features to me. So I just imagined to be her having sex with the other girl. <laughs> yeah. For years, I thought that was what everybody thought until people told me, no, that's that's weird. <laughs> that's interesting, Mish. That's not what cis people do. Yeah. That's not what, yeah, apparently. apparently. Yeah. I remember the, the year that I was recognizing that I was attracted to women and that I was interested in, you know, surgery or things like that. I remember when I thought about being with this woman that I was attracted to. It was always as a man. And that was just the way that it was. And I didn't think about that very deeply. And it wasn't until later, like with my partner, like talking couples therapy and him saying, and you didn't, how did you not get it? Like, how did you not? And I was like, I couldn't, like, I couldn't, it was too horrifying. It was too horrifying of a thing to recognize. I do think that cost our spouses. Like, I mean, I, I don't know Kim's situation, but like, that was, I, I had the same, like, how did you not realize <laughs> How did you not realize this? Were you keeping this from me? It's like, well, maybe like if there's maybe, but like most of the time, no. And we didn't talk about it. And it didn't even come out at that level of like me just talking about where it's like, that is not what, you know, like what sounds these people do. Because like, again, I'm just going to say, because evangelicalism trains you to like be really vague about all of that. Right. So like, I was like, well, I kind of did say like, I was like, ah, you know, I have some struggles and some weird temptations, but like, I was never more specific than that. Right. And again, that's how I framed them. God forgive me one day for, for uh, well, God's already forgiven me for casting my beautiful queerness as a struggle, but I did. Um, and, you know, and so like, we didn't, like I said it, but we existed in this context that masked its meaning or masked its ability to actually communicate. All true. Because if we just are able to talk about our sexuality and I'm not on my sexual orientation, I'm just talking about sex. If we can just talk a lot about it a little bit more open and also see that there's no sexual essentialism. As a man, you can only have sex like this, or say you're, say you're heterosexual. As a heterosexual man, you can only experience sex like this. There is no essentialism there. This comes, this is, you two are wrapping this podcast up very nicely with these reoccurring themes. It is awesome. So true, though. Oh, my everything. 
I wish, I wish that we could have conversations. Like my mom and I had very dysfunctional conversations. Bless her heart when she tried to explain what a vagina was. But um, also, why did I ask about that? She probably had different... Let's leave it at that. But yes, bless our hearts for trying to explain it. But we had very, very weird conversation. On top of that, um, people who listen to this podcast a long time know that there was abuse there as well. So there was like all kinds of confusion with, with, uh, with the way I, I view these things. But, but if I had words to just speak about this, I would be able to speak about abuse because I knew what consent meant. I would be able to speak about pleasure because I know what consent means, <laughs> you know? It goes on and on. It's, uh, it's kind of like painful. Yeah, no. And then what, what you said earlier, Billy, it was a little bit different because Kim knew, but then kind of forgot. It's not like she forgot. We just never talked about it anymore. But now we're looking back at the pictures and we're like scrolling through our phone. It's like, oh, Mish, that's you in my shorts and my T-shirts and a very big beard. But we, oh, yeah, okay. We, we never, okay, yes, I see it now. I see it now. Well, I was just thinking, Misha, as you were yeah. talking about, like, if only I had the language. Yes, but also, I think it was important for us to not know and to not recognize because we were in dangerous situations where it would not have been safe for us to ask these questions. And it wasn't safe for you, Misha, because I know you did ask some of those questions. Like, um, there yeah. were some things yeah, that it was not if I'd had the words for, if I'd recognized, like I knew that there was something, I knew that there was something about me that my, mm -hmm. you know, at the time I framed as bad that my family would not like. And so I should never talk about whatever it was that I had no words for, you know, um, it's, it's a, you know, safety precautions. Yeah. Agreed. And that's the age old question because I'm, I'm certain that y'all have been asked this question as well. Like, are you, Sad that you came out later in life. Uh, it's an impossible to answer question, but obviously I'm happy with my kids. Obviously I'm happy to be here. This was the safest time to come out for me. Uh, so it's a tough topic. Of course, if I was 16 or even younger, so I didn't have to do vocal coaching, that would have been amazing, you know? But... On the other hand, I am the person that I am today because of my struggles. Not saying God is celebrating that, but I am saying I am I am resilient and I am the person that I am because of my experiences. And I like who you are and I like who I am and I like who Eden is. Like who we are now is good and everything else is a hypothetical. It's an is not and I mean, I, and I'm not one of those people that's like, hypotheticals are bad, and I don't do abstractions because I fucking love abstractions and spend loads of time in hypotheticals, right? But, like, what I, here's probably what I would want, and it's also an impossible, right? I would want, without losing my kids or my history or the friendships that I developed uh, or my past or the, yeah, and the different kinds of relationships and the ways I was able to speak to various students over the years, without losing any of that, I would absolutely love not to have gone through a male puberty, but those can't exist in the same world. I, I feel, I feel, yeah, somewhat of similarly. And also, you know, so many things would have had to be different. I would have had to grow up in a family where this would have been safe um, because it's, I can't, it's hard for me to imagine recognizing who I was earlier and, and coming, coming out at the time, it would have been ludicrous. It would have been such a horrible idea. Um, I would have endured some form of conversion therapy, whether official or not. Um, and yeah, I just, so yeah, my family would have to be different. My context would have to be different. I would have to not be growing up in Russia or Ukraine. Um, you know, so it's just, yeah. But also like, that's such a part of who I am. The fact that I grew up in those countries and all the negatives and all the positives of that. Um, I would not be married to my partner. Like that would not be true. I would have never, you know, been part of the conservative branch of the church that I was in. And although there's many problems with that, that's created who a lot of who I am. Um, 
And but yeah, if I if I could have not gone through female puberty, oof, that could have been helpful. <laughs> Billy and I are in the middle of it. Right <laughs> it's, now. A, it's a trip. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one moment I'm laughing. One moment I'm laughing, literally Kim goes to the fridge, comes back, and I'm in tears because my hormonal equilibrium is fucked up. Yeah. It is. It is so much fun. It's so much fun. <laughs> I do love it. So I and I think I like I love it partly because like I went through so many years of like repressing all of my negative emotions that like I got really worried that I can't experience them anymore. So now when I get sad, I'm like really happy about it. Like, there's a part of me that's just like delighted. I'm like, oh, I'm fucking crying. This is amazing. I'm healing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, I was just thinking, so, and I've talked to both of you about this, but it's been interesting as a trans man recognizing the ways that my menstrual cycle is helpful to me and um, like the difficulty of that, of like, oh, this, this fucking thing again, you know, that I don't identify with, but also it creates this time where it is much more difficult or, you know, more impossible to shy away from the feelings that I am experiencing. And that can be overwhelming, but mostly it's overwhelming if I'm trying to fight it. Um, and that that is actually very important. And would I love to have a beard? Yes. Like I would love to have a beard. I would love to have like a lot of aspects that would come with testosterone, but I feel like there would be a loss if I didn't have that experience anymore or if it was fucked up. Like, um, because I know there's many trans men who still have a period, but like, it's gotta be, it would be altered. It would be altered. No, I mean, that's, that's exactly what we talked about earlier, right? There is no universal trans man experience. There was a time where I, where I specifically asked myself, can I see my penis as feminine? And people around me were like, huh, Mish. And I needed to go through that journey and i can guarantee you that there's thousands of trans women for whom the answer is yeah absolutely absolutely so i hear you <sighs> but one thing i must say if i was not going through all these years of hardship i would not be as salty as i am right now and we all love salty mish. We all like snarky <laughs> and cranky mish. You you like me, Eden, because I'm cranky. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a little sweetheart, we would still like you just in a different way. Maybe. No, okay, Eden wouldn't. What if what if you would not? So if I would come in with butterfly wings and a wand and it's like, hi Eden, do you want to have coffee with me? Go. What would be your risk? Oh, but I love people with butterfly wings and wands, Eden. <laughs> My face was just like, uh, um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's fine if, if you were like that, but, but you need some of the saltiness with that. Like, yeah, you've got to have both. You can have the, like, I'm totally like butterfly wings and tea and coffee, like whatever, that's fine. But you got to have the saltiness. Otherwise... Otherwise, we'd just die of sugar. Have nothing in common. Got yeah. it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> this has been the Models We Live By podcast. I want to thank you all for listening. And it would be great if you can give me a follow on TikTok or Instagram. My username is at Essen on both platforms. The music is by AGST and the song is called Flaw. Go listen to their music. Until then. <laughs>